Queer Money Bingo is coming live to Denver, Colorado on Thursday, June 13th at the Downtown Capital One Cafe. To sign up for your door prizes, pride sunglasses, free coffee, more swag, fun, and games, go to queermoneypodcast.com forward slash tour. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. Okay, let's see if this card goes through for that $8,000 drink. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants to be a part of the in-crowd. Everybody wants to to look good. My my decision was, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem. Normally, we don't drink on queer money, but because we're talking about a subject that David is rather vanilla on... Grab a glass of wine, because you're listening to Queer Money with the Debt Free Guys. This is the only show helping our community do more and be more by talking about money from the queer perspective. This episode of Queer Money, we are asking the question, is it wise to um, come out at work? Um, There's been a lot of progress in the LGBT community over the last couple of years, um, but all that progress isn't in tandem. So we want to just discuss the risks and rewards of coming out at work. So uh, let's go ahead and get started by meeting our guests. Yes. So um, well, Jay, Jay, would you mind uh, giving us a little introduction about yourself? Sure. Uh, My name is Jay Allen. And uh, unfortunately, you can't see me, but you can hear me. Uh, But Jay (laughs) Allen and I currently um, have my own consulting firm, Jay Allen Associates. Until June of last year, I was the chief administrative officer for Charles Schwab, and uh, and prior to that, had been the executive vice president for human resources for a number of years at Schwab. Awesome, thank you. We uh, really appreciate having you. Thank you for coming on today. So Dave. I should probably also say I'm also gay, and <laughs> have been and have been out have been out at work since 1981. That's cool. Thank you. Um, I can't wait to dive into that. Yeah, definitely. So Dave, we'll give you the floor. Would you mind introducing yourself, please? Sure. Uh, hi, I'm Dave Montez. I'm the executive director at One Colorado. For those who don't know, One Colorado is the state's leading advocacy organization for um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people and our families. We are a statewide organization. You guys do a lot of great work, and we appreciate that. And we appreciate your time. We know you're very busy. You just came from the Capitol today, so... <laughs> yeah, thank you so much to both of you, not only for having me, but for um, what a brilliant idea to do this. So thank you both. Absolutely, thank you. Uh, so to get things started, Jay, you kind of alluded to it. Um, does anybody have, any one of the four of us have a story they want to share about coming out at work? Well, I'm not really gay. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell by how much that you are. Uh, you know, most of my most of my career has been in the LGBT advocacy arena. Um, so I think, fortunately, I've I've always been out um, and have sort of um, I think had probably a different experience than a lot of people who do come out at work and have to um, have sometimes difficult conversations, sometimes accepting conversations. Um, but sort of given the work that I do and the work that I've done for most of my career, um, I, I fortunately have not had to come out, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's definitely I think for, I think Go ahead, for a lot of us, um, coming out at work is maybe happens along a continuum. You know, there's, uh, I had a friend way back, uh, many years ago, he'll tell you how old I am, but back when the Briggs initiative was being, um, Baited in California, and he was a Spanish teacher. And he said, "You know, what do people think I do? You know, they, I announced that I'm gay, and said, okay, now let's learn Spanish.' 
Um, <laughs> I, I think for me, I never, I don't know that I ever came out at work. It's just, what, what I did instead was I fell in love. And uh, it was my first, uh, my first real love. I had fallen in love with him. And um, I thought what you did when you love someone was you put a picture of them on your desk. <laughs> and that's what I did. Right. And uh, that was that was coming out at work because it was a picture of he and I and uh, and, it, and it generated questions. And I was really happy to answer them because I was so happy and so excited. And um, maybe I was naive or maybe I didn't care or uh, maybe I was so in love that I wasn't thinking straight. But um, uh, that that was what I did. <laughs> gotcha. What happened was something quite different, but that's what I did. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's, that's similar to my story. Um, I, I I transitioned from being a very religious person to being out. Basically, um, I was raised in a very religious household, and I was um, living here in Colorado. And then I ran away to South Dakota to try to find myself. And when I came back from South Dakota, basically, I really, to me, it was that was my my time for me to come out. And I knew that at that time, I was going to lose. Um, pretty much 99% of my family and friends because of coming out. Um, and the way I came out at work was basically by starting a job. The, the, when I started working full time, um, it was kind of, I already knew that that was a process or a path that I was on in life. And uh, it was about two months into work that um, a new employee caught my eye. <laughs> and uh, we started hanging out and within a couple of weeks, everybody at work knew that we were gay um, because we were spending all of our time together. And it wasn't uh, it, like you said, it wasn't or, or and same with you, Dave, it wasn't necessarily that I announced to everyone, but it just seemed a, a logical transition for me because of the fact that I was spending so much time or people knew that I was with this person uh, a significant amount of time and uh, it just kind of happened. Which I, I guess I have to say I'm very fortunate that I worked for this is in back in 1996. I worked for a company that it didn't matter, you know, and lived in a state where it, it wasn't uh, an issue either. Yeah. yeah, that's similar to my story. I was at Charles Schwab. That was my first real job out of college, and um, I never thought anything about it. I just came out. I, I never made it an issue. I didn't you know, go to work with a pride flag on my back, but I also um, didn't hide it, and so it kind of came out organically. And I never had any experience of um, discrimination or anything. Yeah. So I find that interesting. So we have four gay men on the panel and nobody really had a problem coming out. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, although I will add, I will say um, that um, I, David, you said that you, you came out in 1996. Colorado didn't pass its non-discrimination law until 2007. Right. So you were lucky um, in, I mean, had had someone at work I know the company because there may have been some internal policies, but if there weren't, had someone at the company had a problem with you, they could have fired you just for being gay. Right. And that's the reality. Um, uh, only 22 states um, have non-discrimination protections for gay and lesbian people, and only 19 of those 22 include uh, transgender Americans. And so that is the reality uh, for, for a large part of the LGBT population uh, in, in the United States. Yeah, it, it, that's, it, that's part. Of, sorry, go ahead, Jay. I said I just wouldn't. I wouldn't say that I had a problem in coming out. It was relatively easy for me make, to make the decision to be who I was. That is not to say that there wasn't a consequence. 
Mm -hmm. And um, even though I was working for IBM at the time, a big company, which even in 1981 had a non-discrimination policy, the fact was it really wasn't okay um, yeah. at that time. A lot has changed uh, now, but there, there, there clearly was a consequence that I was, I, I didn't realize at the time. Yeah. Um, and, I think my, and I think my career there plateaued as a result. It wasn't that anyone ever said, we're not giving you a job because you're gay. It's just simply that there were, I was never in the consideration set that I thought I should be in. Right. Gotcha. It's very interesting you say that, Jay, because I just read an article today that said in, um, uh, based on a study that a woman has done, that in the UK, the average uh, gay white man will spend about $54,000 in a US dollars above normal of what a, a straight counterpart would spend to get the same career advancement. So the considerations may not be just whether it's discrimination, but it also could be financial. And that's part of, you know, part of the reason why we're having this discussion. And like you said, Dave, not every state it's uh, easy for an individual or legal for an individual to, um, to have the same, uh, uh, protections. So that's one part of the reason why we wanted to have this discussion, make it uh, a little bit more open as to why we want to, to continue to have these conversations. Many of us who live in large cities and in states where it's, it's very easy and comfortable, we may forget about our counterparts who live in yeah. states or work for companies that do not have the same protections. Yeah, I mean, I think you touched on something, uh, David. That um, there, you know, there there are multiple forms of discrimination. It's not just hiring and firing. It's promotions. It's salary. It's you know, there's a lot of different ways that discrimination within a workplace can play out. For example, in Colorado, uh, we just did a study, and there uh, one Colorado just or did a study a, a couple of years ago. There are transgender people in Colorado who have four-year bachelor degrees and the same experience who are making half of what a non-transgender person with no bachelor's degree is making. Wow. Um, and and, it's, and, and you, when you look at the data, it really is just because they're transgender um, that they're facing that sort of discrimination. And while it's, we have a state non-discrimination law that protects transgender people, um, but yet that, that is still happening uh, in, in, in Colorado. Mm -hmm. right. I, I would also add, I think it's important to add that, and I, I try to remember this, I've spent my career with large corporations, mm -hmm. many of them Fortune 500 companies, most of them Fortune 500 companies, and there's a great divide in this country. Um, I think that a lot of Fortune 500 companies have moved, not to say that some of the types of of discrimination that Davis talked about and I did. It's not just hiring and firing. It doesn't occur at those companies, but they've made a lot more progress right. faster than most states. Mm -hmm. Then, um, but there's, but most people don't work for the Fortune 500. Right. Most people right. work for companies that have five or 10 people. And it's a very different proposition when you're in a small town and you're working for a small employer and you're in a state that doesn't give you protections and that is your livelihood and that's the way that you pay for your children's health care. It's a very right. different proposition. Right. It's so true. So considering all that, what can an LGBT member or queer member of the community do to protect themselves or to, rec I'm sorry, to recognize that they're being discriminated against? If, I mean, if at the time, for example, Jay, you didn't know you were being discriminated against, 
how in hindsight would you recognize that? Well, I guess the only way for me to answer that is to say what I did. I mean, it became very clear to me that jobs that my boss actually thought I was ready for and qualified for, um, I wasn't being considered for. There was always a there was always a good reason why, mm-hmm. um, and I concluded that um, it was that it was pretty obvious to me that it was because I was gay. I also knew some people who worked fairly high up in corporate who who said as much to me. And my decision was, and, and I, I want to be I want to be clear that I, I'm I'm lucky in this regard. My, my decision was I'm not a victim. I'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem. I will go and find a job somewhere where it's not. Right. I, I had that option. Right. I completely agree with you there, Jay. You know, it's interesting. It's what you're saying is very similar to this. These I read two articles today that were very much about this in preparing for the show, and and the the one that mentioned the the additional pay also talked about entrepreneurs and how entrepreneurs in the U.S. who are gay have migrated to the coasts primarily from from the center of the country to the coast primarily because they feel that they can. Um, operate a business in a more progressive environment. And because of that, they've also created jobs in those areas. And it's just this feeling of comfortableness that has taken them to those those parts of the country. And it kind of reminds me of the uh, of the idea of cities of refuge, um, where that I think that were those terms were kind of originally started when you think about uh, the gay ghettos of New York or San Francisco or LA, where people felt like these were the areas that they could live in that were easy to protect them uh, physically. And now then after that, they started moving on to the protections of being protected uh, financially or, or legally by the state. You know, so I think that that's kind of, some people wonder why there is this vast chasm between some states and others. Well, maybe that's partly because people uh, that feeling of comfortableness and moving to where they feel like they can operate and live in a lifestyle or uh, or work in a, an environment that they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that being anti-LGBT is not profitable. I mean, there there's a reason the Fortune 500 companies have sort of led the charge on, on diversity and respecting <laughs> diversity. They understand that multiple viewpoints equals profit. Um, and so, I mean, you only have to look to Indiana um, and what happened when they, when Governor Kent signed their religious exemptions law. I mean, they lost $60 million in conference revenue. Salesforce pulled out, you know, one of the, the new uh, centers that they were building there. Georgia just recently um, is, is considering religious exemptions legislation there. And, and you know, small and medium-sized companies have already said, we will leave the state if you pass laws like this, the, yeah. uh, there are, are Hollywood has said there's a huge uh, film industry in Georgia. Hollywood has said we we will not send our actors and uh, to Georgia to film, television, and movies if you pass legislation like this. And so, I mean, I I I, I think that there is it, now there is 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 some um, altruism uh, on the part of Fortune 500 companies by do for doing the right thing, but. I don't think it started there. I mean, I think it started as a recognition that diversity and respecting multiple viewpoints equals profit. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, that study that you pointed out to me earlier today. Right, yeah, Goldman Sachs did a study and they basically said that individuals who are comfortable at work um, 
living uh, are satisfied and comfortable with who they are at work, um, they have shown an increase in productivity by 15%. So if you can get 15% more out of your employees, every employer is going to love that no matter what. You know? And I think that you speak to that. You know, it doesn't matter who you are or your viewpoints, if you're comfortable expressing them or at least not hiding them. And Jay, I'm going to go back to something that you said back when we were at Schwab that kind of really stuck with me, um, was the effort that it takes to hide who you are by just simply using the, uh, you know, opposite pro or other pronouns uh, and the um, inability to express your true self. Um, you put time and effort into that. Your employer is paying you 100% to be there 100% of the time. And if you can't be out, then you're not there 100% of the time, which I think, like you said, Dave, a lot of Fortune 500 companies are, are taking the charge on this. We're hoping that that trickles down into some more of the small, medium, small business companies as well. Well, the good news is that I think that the public, the public opinion and, 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 and with time, um, the opinion is with us. I mean, the fact that you would discriminate against someone because they were gay, I think, is is um, not okay any longer. There is, you can't get agreement that that's okay any longer, and that's a good thing. I mean, your question is it financially wise to come out of work. I mean, I want to be respectful of people who live in circumstances that are very different from mine, but for me, how could it not be financially wise to come out of work? And it's really for what you said, it's just any amount of effort you put into cutting a part of yourself off and hiding it from others means you're not at your best. Right. right. And, and, and I think it's just, you, you, you need to be at your best. Uh, why wouldn't any company want you to give your best to them? Exactly. Well, okay. No, go ahead. John. I was just gonna say, I guess there's this perception that maybe they can get rid of every gay, right? So if we can get rid of every gay, then everything will be perfect. But that's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. I mean, I would caution though. Um, you, you know that that uh, you know the question was how can someone prepare for coming out at work? I mean, I, I. I think you're right that while it does take a lot of energy to hide who you are, while diversity is profitable, while all of that exists, I mean, we're talking about people's livelihoods here, right? So, I mean, I think that there are some steps that you should take. Does your do you have a non-discrimination policy um, in within your company? Does your state have a non-discrimination policy that protects LGBT people? Is there an LGBT employee resource group in your company right. um, that, that is supported by the company? Are there openly gay members of leadership? Um, right there, these are all signs that it is a safe place to come out. Um, and so I think that those are those are calculations that you need to make. Or like Jay said, go find a different place to work where um, with, with, I, I granted is, is, is easier said than done sometimes. Right. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, if it is becoming a burden to you um, or volunteer with an organization like One Colorado to change your state's non-discrimination law to include LGBT protections. Um, but, you know, there was you know, national statistics show that uh, Forty-two percent of LGB, lesbian, gay, and bisexual people have experienced mistreatment on the job, and seventy-eight percent uh, of transgender people have experienced mistreatment on the job. Those are big numbers, um, and and so I, I think that while public opinion, yes, definitely is moving our our direction, while we have had a lot of victories, um, particularly on on legal protections in some places. 
um, there's still, uh, you know, there's still stigma that exists, uh, in, particularly for transgender people uh, in our communities. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting you say that, uh, Jay, because I'm sorry, Dave, uh, one of the things that caught me kind of very square in the eyes when I was reading one of the articles this morning was the, the basically the statement that the individual who wrote the article was saying that things have changed a lot for us over the last two years. They've gotten better. And basically, they were saying that because of that, we don't have to worry about it anymore. And you know, just because DOMA passed and individuals in the military have the right to uh, live the lives that they want uh, or that we now have a marriage equality doesn't mean that there's been this mass shift in, uh, in the vast majority of individuals. If two years ago you didn't agree with marriage equality, it's highly likely that today you still don't agree with marriage equality. And that person could be your employer or that person could be somebody you're competing with at work to get a better job. Um, and so you still have to take into consideration that there are individuals, we live in a country that allows us to believe and live the way we want. And we have to live with the fact that there are still going to be individuals who don't want us to live and believe the way we want. I, I think that's right. I mean, the national organization GLAD and Harris Interactive uh, released a study, a poll just a few months ago you know, you've got vast majorities of people saying that they still feel uncomfortable seeing two men holding hands, um, vast majorities of people saying that they wouldn't let their children go over to a gay couple's house and play with their children. So, you know, the, the stigma is still still exists. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think on, on marriage equality, you know, we we may have reached a tipping point. Recent polls in Colorado show us that um, nearing 70% support for uh, the Supreme Court's ruling. So, I mean, I think it's it's issue by issue, but I think that there's still um, there's still stigma that exists for the LGBT community, particularly for transgender transgender people. I mean, um, 20 years ago, uh, there were only uh, only 20% uh, of the population knew someone who was openly gay or lesbian. Um, fast forward to today, and that number is 90%. Though I'd love to meet that 10% who doesn't know someone who's gay or lesbian. Um, for transgender people, it's it's twenty percent. It's where we were twenty years ago, and so you know, I think I think there's a lot of need uh, for making sure that the stories of transgender people are told, the real stories, not this sort of anti-transgender uh, stereotype that our opposition loves to feed the media. Yeah. So I'm hearing two things. I guess the first thing that I was hearing was that maybe before joining a company, you should be a little bit cautious about what their LGBT policies are and you know, how they, what their discrimination policies are. But on the other hand, I hear that it seems like the more exposure that people who might be biased against the LGBT community have with lesbians and gays and transgender people, the better things get. So unless you want to be a martyr at your company, you could be putting yourself at, up, putting yourself at risk, right? Yeah. I mean, so I guess what, what, what's the takeaway? Is, is the takeaway really be cautious about the job that you take before you get in there or try to fight the good fight and change opinions when you get there. Personally, I think that Dave gave some really good advice about, you know, understand, is there a policy, understand what the situation is in your state? Are there, are there open um, leaders in the company? So prepare yourself for it. I also have a lot of room for people to figure out what they can tolerate at what points in time. 
Right. Having said all of that, um, I've long believed, and I was very involved in something called the experience in the 1980s. And um, I think the person who said it best was Tammy Baldwin, who's a senator from Wisconsin. And she said this at the time she was a congresswoman. And she said, if you want to live in a world where it's okay to walk down the street holding your partner's hand, then walk down the street holding your partner's hand. Yeah. If you right. want to live in a world where it's okay to be open at work, you have to be open at work. Right. Um, I, I, I do think, you know, I do think that when more, uh, more people know that they know people who are gay and lesbian, okay, we're at 90%. When they know more people who are transgender and they know that they know them, that's when people have to confront the humanity of it and decide, um, am I going to hold on to this, this belief about, uh, about these individuals or am I going to let it be informed by what I know personally? Right. Yeah. I think that, I think Jay is absolutely from an advocate's perspective, the most, the strongest, uh, the tools we have are our personal stories. Um, Jenny Boylan, who is on um, I Am Kate, uh, you know, s said something that has stuck with me in the work that I do. It is really hard to hate someone you know. Right? It's really hard to sit across from the conference room table in a legislative committee hearing. It's really hard to sit across from someone, look them in the face and say, you don't deserve to be treated just like me, right. especially if you know them. So, I, I mean... From an advocate's perspective, Jay is absolutely right. Um, we, the, the more people that come out, the more people that tell their stories, uh, the more um, the, the more public opinion and culture will shift in our direction. Yeah, right. and, and and at the same time, if there is someone who's you know part of this um, and listening, uh, participating, or watches the recording, I think it's also real important to know that. I have lots of room for someone who's in, I don't want to be prejudiced and name a particular place in the middle of the country, but is somewhere where they're working for an employer who isn't gay friendly um, or transgender friendly, who needs that job to pay right. for their family or their health care. I have lots of room for them to make a decision that's safe for them. Sure. Right. So, Dave, that kind of makes me want to ask you a question. You guys, One Colorado works all throughout Colorado. Some are smaller towns. Not everybody's as open-minded as, as the folks in Denver. So what, what, how do you talk to somebody who's afraid um, about coming out at work in a smaller town? What I grew up in, I grew up in one of those towns. <laughs> um, I grew up in a, a, a town here in Colorado with a population of 600 that, that hasn't changed much uh, since I lived there. Um, I, you know, I, I'm pretty out. Um, I think, you know, my I, I do media interviews on one Colorado's issue priorities that reach the little town that I'm talking about, and and everyone there watches television. That's about and goes to the bar. That's really about all they do in that little town. Um, and so I'm pretty out uh, in, in, uh, even now um, in in that little town. Um, and there are times that I feel sometimes unsafe. Uh, and I know we hear um, when civil unions passed uh, just a, a few years ago, um, there were people uh, in Grand Junction. We couldn't find a couple to go on television in Grand Junction uh, and, and do an interview about civil unions. 
um, and, and what it meant to them. And those that did want to said that, uh, could we blur their faces out? Yeah. But fast forward to marriage, and we had two or three couples who were willing to, to go on television in Grand Junction and, and tell their story. And so um, we hear about it all the time. Um, and, and the only advice that I could give them is to understand what our law, our non-discrimination law, currently protects um, and sort of the, the methods for making sure that that law gets enforced uh, uh, fairly uh, amongst all of the people who are protected by it. Um, because there is the, the Colorado Civil Rights Division, CCRD, um, is tasked, is funded as a state-funded agency that is tasked with investigating uh, non-discrimination claims both in housing, employment, um, and I, I also the provision of services. So there are mechanisms in place um, to protect people, to make sure that they are not being discriminated against. And that's that's often the advice that we give. People think that they've been discriminated against. Uh, we we point them in the direction of the, the Civil Rights Division, whose job it is to, to investigate those claims. So this might speak to my ignorance of, of how government works, but the federal government has anti-discrimination laws. If you live in a state that doesn't have anti-discrimination laws, are there federal agencies that can help protect you in that state? This, there is no, there are no federal protections at the uh, for for gay for LGBT people. Uh, and though there is a bill that has been introduced called the Equality Act uh, that would add uh, LGBT categories to the Civil Rights Act, um, which would essentially protect. <coughs> Uh, LGBT people in housing, uh, uh, employment, uh, services, and I think lending is the other, uh, the fourth category. Um, and so that is for a lot of states like Mississippi or Arkansas, where the likelihood of passing a statewide non-discrimination law is pretty low given the, you know, the conservative leaning of those legislatures. The Equality Act is our best shot. Um, at protecting LGBT people, no matter what their zip code is. Um, we are fortunate here in Colorado to have LGBT protections in our non-discrimination law. Sure, sure. that's great. Yeah. So um, I threw everybody a curveball earlier today. There was an article that came out on Bloomberg written by um, Jeff Green. And I was kind of perplexed by, on one hand, I thought it was exciting. On the other hand, I, I see a lot of concerns and risks with it. But there are, it seems to be that more and more companies in the effort of trying to be diverse and open are asking their employees about their sexual orientation. I'm asking them to disclose that and document that. Um, I thought it was kind of ironic that um, two of the companies that were mentioned in the article were both financial services firms, but I guess it's also a Bloomberg article as well. So um, I wanted to throw that out there and see what your, your opinions were. Um, I can see risks and rewards to both sides. Jay, um, do you have any thoughts on that article? Well, you know, um, I, I'm aware of the discussion that's gone on for some time about collecting information about your your employees, um, whether they're LGBT, and asking them to voluntarily do it. You know, I, um, me personally, as an HR leader for many years, I guess my approach to the data that we collected was, I always felt we shouldn't collect any data that, that we didn't, need um and that that really actually has for me that has that isn't about lgbt issues that's about a whole host of things if i need a certain amount of information as an employer to either pay you or comply with the law or 
run my business efficiently, okay, collect it. Yeah. If I don't, why am I taking? Why am I collecting? Um, right. And I don't know. This is a tough one for me. I I I hear that you know they want to be able to to frame benefits and use it to actually use it to actually um, help them in recruiting. But I I'm not. I, I have to confess I am not comfortable with companies collecting information that they don't really have any reason to collect and store. Interesting. So is there a way to craft those policies without getting that data then? To make a more LGBT or um, sexually inclusive society, uh, company? There have been for years. Yeah. There have been for years. I mean, the fact is most companies and Schwab was in, certainly included, had a, a, an employee resource group um they had leaders who were out um at one time they had many more than they had perhaps today but they had leaders that were out um they could do this they could do the arithmetic as any of us can do and figure out that if we have a company that has x number of people we are likely to have this representation of lesbian gay transgender and bisexual people in it and if we want to be an inclusive employer what is that what what should that look like in terms of our policies and practices? Right. So I, I don't think it handicaps you to not collect that information. And I I I think that the the they mentioned it in here, but I I'm I'm particularly sensitive to this. The data security risk that exists, yeah. the amount of information that's collected about us and how safe it is. Hey, I don't know who's going to use it for what. Right. You don't need it to run your business. Don't collect it. Right. They can yeah, breach I, Target or some of these other massive corporations. What makes them believe that they can't get into pretty much anyone's? Yeah. Go ahead, Dave. Well, I mean, I I I, I agree with Jay. I mean, I think the only uh, the only benefit that I saw in the entire article was that it was a bragging right for the companies that were collecting. But we have this many LGBT employees. Um, which is, you know, I, I think is great that they're proud of that. But I mean, I think you can get you can get that bragging right without having that collect the data, right. and you can make your internal policies consistent with with fairness and equality for all your employees without collecting that data. Um, the LGBT Community Center here has a great program that they that they're just rolling out that. Um, you know, for a fee, they'll go into a company and they will um, train them and teach them and, and talk about how to make their policies as, as, as um, you know, LGBT friendly as possible. The Human Rights Campaign has their corporate equality index. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there are already tools in place um, and trainings in place to, to get to a company that is LGBT inclusive without data, uh, without that data existing. Right. Yeah, I think of the in the last couple of years, uh, just seeing, for example, the commercials from Campbell Soup, or I think it was Pay Less Shoes, um, and then one recently from Mass Mutual. If you're really looking for those bragging rights, connect with your community through the means of connecting with your community, and that's either by advertising to them or supporting the organizations that support that community. And you know, we just—that's well, one of the things John and I have done. We've gravitated towards those those companies when we are looking for companies to partnership with we gravitate towards those ones that are already putting themselves out there and saying we're firmly standing behind you as a company sorry Jay, yeah. you something? 
And I, I, I think something Dave said earlier is actually far more important than giving me a number that says in this company of 200,000, I have X number of LGBT employees. And that is, do you have visible leaders who are gay, yeah. who are yeah. lesbian, who are transgender? Do, do you? Um, are you supporting the issues that are important to the LGBT community? Yeah. Are you present at those kinds of organizations? I got to tell you, that's a whole lot more important to me than you telling me you got X percent. Right. right. That, that's, that's absolutely right. So there were there are three big sort of campaigns where the, you know, where the private sector really stepped up. One was around the Boy Scouts ban on uh, gay uh, troops and sort of the corporates who were funding the Boy Scouts kind of stepping up and saying, we're not gonna give you money anymore to discriminate. Like that's not who we are as a company. We heard from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in those companies, uh, some anonymous, some public saying, thank you. Like it, it means so much to us to see that our company is stepping up to the plate on this. Marriage equality was another one. One of the amicus briefs uh, in the Windsor decision, I think, um, had a lot of the big banks and financial companies uh, had written that had written and signed on to an amicus brief. We heard again from all of those the employee openly gay and, and lesbian and transgender employees of those companies how grateful they were. And now on these religious exemptions uh, legislation that's that's that they're trying to pass in other states, the for-profit companies that have sort of stepped up to say this isn't who we are, we will not be located in a state where you do this. Again, their employees sort of stepping up and saying thank you for doing this. It, it, I can't tell you how much it means to us to work in a company that's willing to take a stand on issues like this. Yeah, yeah. I guess that when you think about it, we're you know we're talking about here about the financial decisions of coming out at work. Um, again, in this whole idea of being prepared looking for companies that are doing that or you know uh you know maybe going to your local organizations uh lgbt organizations and asking them what companies in our area are you getting support from right that may be worse that's going to be my starting list of employers that i start reaching out to saying i'm looking for a better job or i'm looking for a job in this particular town or city and you know, you move, let's say you're moving from Los Angeles and you're moving to Texarkana because of a job, you know, or because of a family situation, you know, looking for those kinds of organizations that would be able to provide that kind of information gives you that, that list of, of who to look for first. And I, I think that's right. Or, or go to the pride parade and, and, and see, you know, what companies have floats in large contingents of people who are marching in those, you know, behind those company banners. Right. Yeah, that's true. And just as a little foot, footnote, one of the things that I loved before I left, before I retired from Schwab, we were um, doing some research on recruiting millennials. And uh, one of the things that became very obvious is if you're not, if you don't have uh, an LGBT non-discrimination policy in place, it's a problem. Really? Yeah. Not just, not just for LGBT millennials. For all of them, it's interesting. Yeah, that's the yeah. that's the tur that turning tide. Hey, Dave, do you maybe have a little bit more advice or suggestions that you may give to someone who is looking for how they can find that kind of uh, non-discrimination information from an employer? Maybe you're going to a company that's uh, only has 25 employees. How do you tactfully find that kind of information out? 
mean, most of the time when you're going after a company or looking at a company that's got maybe 15,000 employees, it's a little easier to find that because they're going to be up, for, up front and forward with that. But what about some of the smaller companies? Yeah, I mean, I think that you're, you're just going to have to ask in your interview or, you know, as you know, can I get a copy of your non-discrimination policy um, or is your non-discrimination policy in line with the state, with Colorado's state policy? Um, that That's, you know, usually um, when we're talking to um, uh, places about updating their non-discrimination policy, that's how we frame it in the context of all you're doing is bringing your internal policy in line with what the state already provides. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think if that's a, a tactful way, you know, is your is your policy in line with what the state of Colorado mandates for non-discrimination protection? Right. I think it's important to remember, no matter where you are, granted there are saves for some exceptions, that when you're going through the interview process, you're interviewing the company as much as they're interviewing you. Um, and of course, there are situations where you just need a job and you want to do whatever you can to get whatever job you can. Um, but I think always keeping that in the back of your mind, um, that you're also interviewing them. Um, you want to make sure that you find yourself a good home. Right. You don't know how long you're going to be there. It could be a year. It could be the rest of your life, basically, you know, or working career. So you do want to, like you said, make, make sure you're interviewing them for the kind of employer you want, not just the kind of employer that's going to pay you. Right. So um, I think it was a good discussion. I'm uh, gonna let everybody give us a little close, uh, any kind of takeaways that you have um, to wrap things up. Jade, any kind of last minute advice or takeaways that you'd like to share? Um, I don't know that there's anything original. I, I, I do believe at my core that, um, that, we, that we change the world when we all, when we all come out and we're who we are at work and, at, and with our families and in our communities of faith and wherever that is. And so, you know, I, 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 while I respect the fact that it's difficult for folks, I think there's some really good resources in it and advice for people. Um, I think Dave has given some very good suggestions for folks, certainly interviewing the company. But at the end of the day, um, I want people to claim their own power. And, um, and, and, uh, I w- and so I would really encourage people that if you make that decision that's too risky, push yourself a little bit. Mm-hmm. Ask yourself, um, what is it that I'm really risking? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, very powerful. Um, I, I'll say two things in closing. Uh, one, um, we, can't, we absolutely cannot lull ourselves into complacency. Yes, things are getting better, but our opposition shows no sign of slowing down. Um, And this religious exemption stuff that they're pushing has the potential to impact um, everyone at all levels of of employment um, in in the United States. So that's one. And two, vote. Uh, Elections matter. Um, Elections matter not only for the laws that protect us, but for your pocketbook. Uh, for for um, the, the the Supreme Court, I mean, there's so many things that are connecting to voting. Jay talked about claiming your power. That's one of the easiest ways uh, to claim your power and to make sure your voice is heard is to vote. Doesn't matter who you vote for. I, I it really doesn't. But LGBT people showing up to the polls and and voting um, is one way that we continue to show and to exercise the power we have as a community, Absolutely. especially at the local level. I mean, you know, we, we talked about that the fact that there's, I think what you say, Dave, there's only 22 states that 
have anti-discrimination policies. Or, so or we need to be working. Yeah. yeah. And that it's only 19 for transgender people. Right. So at the local level, we really need to keep pushing hard to make sure that those changes happen uh, for those four individuals. And that's that really happens at the local level. And we're fortunate in Colorado, like we've said, but voting at the local level in all those other states really is going to what will move the needle and yeah. helping many of them feel more comfortable coming out at work. Yeah, the presidential election gets all the attention, but it's really the gra the grassroots efforts, um, the, the small government efforts that really help. And I'll, I'll tag on to what Dave was, say was saying. I think the four of us are, are, are very fortunate. We have lived, I guess, most of our lives in states or cities um, that support the LGBT community or have evolved pretty quickly. Um, I think it's probably incumbent upon us to um, be, I guess, the loudest advocates for our peers who are in the um, the country, I guess, for lack of a better word. Right. Or for those, even for those who maybe work in industries that it's not generally considered okay to come out. I mean, there's, they still may live in states where there are anti-discrimination laws, but working in industries where it's still not okay. I and mean, I think about, well, you know, oil and gas especially is, uh, it has a stigma around it. So you know, there are certain industries that may not, people may not feel comfortable coming out and so we do have to support you know, everyone we can. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up oil and gas. Uh, we are actually um, doing some work with some oil and gas companies to highlight the stories of LGBT people who work in the energy industry um, as a way to uh, soften, I think, inter internal to the energy industry how people view LGBT. The LGBT protections, as I said before, it's hard to hate someone you know, right? right? So when they know that there are people in their in their sector, in their in their uh, companies that are LGBT, it makes them stop and think, oh, "Wow, maybe this issue is an issue that our company should be caring about." Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and we really appreciate uh, both Dave and, and Jay sharing Absolutely. their comments with us. It's great to to have the stories, and that's one of the reasons why we have Queer Money is to tell those stories. Um, we'd like, uh, obviously everyone loves a good story and, uh, but it's the, it's that carrying of those stories forward and being able to impact change. That's really kind of what our purpose is. Absolutely. So definitely thank you, Jay, for joining us. And thank you, Dave, as well, for joining us. Okay. We just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle Newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. <laughs> <laughs> it would help me if I had a personal chef made all the for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a Snickers tonight. For <laughs> <laughs> the other end, I like the butts. So. <laughs> yeah. uh. If you or someone you know is in or near Denver on Thursday, June 13th, go to QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour to reserve a spot to win amazing swag, including our very popular bride sunglasses, free coffee, and of course, an hour of Queer Money Bingo hosted by yours truly. That's QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour.